Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hello, friends. I hope you're squeezing what you can out of the last weeks of summer. I'm still not used to starting school in early August. Let me tell you about when I was growing up. Now, I'm not going to do that today. I'll just say that planning season is here, something I didn't worry about when I was growing up. And, of course, you know I love doing these interviews, but it's not the only way to do a podcast. One alternative is to do more of a narrative format where four or five experts talk about a topic, each from their own perspective. For example, a product manager, a customer, a third-party partner, what have you. That can be tied together a bit like a radio news story. It's a great way to highlight stories that are important to your brand. I could go on about what that would look like and the advantages, but if that's interesting to you, you could just schedule a short call with me using the link in the show notes. Today, we're going to talk about how salespeople can engage with customers when face-to-face is still a long way away. So let's jump into it, shall we? Bob Lemke is a partner and the chief revenue officer at Mobile Locker. They are an engagement platform for healthcare providers and others in pharma and life sciences and beyond. Bob, welcome. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. It's great to be here today. First of all, just for background, explain to people what Mobile Locker is. We're going to talk about the sales process, of course, and how it's changed through COVID and doesn't look like it's going back anytime soon. But explain your platform and why we're talking about the process. Great. So in a nutshell, so Mobile Locker is what we define as a content engagement platform. The way we operate is we provide, and it typically is used by field sales, field marketing, okay? So primarily pharma, biotech, med tech is typically our go-to client. We do have clients that are outside that vertical in that industry, but the way we help drive value for those clients is when they have a library of content that, that the reps share, typically created by marketing or some agency for marketing or whatever that might be. That goes into a place, uh, a vault, a some type of repository. The reps in the field then need access to that content. So what we do is we give them really simple, easy access to that content through a single interface. Not only do they have the access, but then they have the capacity to share that content that is relevant to them in any format. So they can share it in any channel, any format. So virtual meeting like this, they can share it in a face-to-face meeting on an iPad. They can share it um, via web or digital outreach. They can share it via email. And once they share that content, we give them the capacity to track it. So we track for them through our insights in the platform, what happened after they share it. So if they leave it behind, in a virtual meeting, for example, you say, hey, Bob, that's really cool. Can you send that to me? I would send that to you in Mobile Locker. And then you, whenever you access that piece of content, we get feedback on that. So I give me the rep who shared that. Hey, Chris opened that. Chris looked at it. Chris downloaded it. Chris shared it. 
hey, Chris looked at that piece of content for 22 minutes. He looked at it, paragraph three and paragraph four for 17 of those 22 minutes. So they get really deep level insights around what happened to that piece of content after they shared it. And what the value is for them is that gives them then the ability to follow up on that. So they know exactly what happened as if they were in the room. So then they can hit you with another email or another piece of content very related to what your interest was. So that is the value so that they see that insight around not only when you saw it, what you did with it, and how you interacted with it, giving them insight as to how to respond to that. And that's in a nutshell. We integrate with all the CRM platforms out there. So reps love it because they can work inside Mobile Locker and all of their activity that's going on inside Mobile Locker is then tracked back through bi-directional integration to CRM. So they don't have to double that. So they don't have to say, I did this, now I gotta go back to CRM and double enter it back there. It's all bi-directionally integrated to CRM through Mobile Locker. So they love it. They can work in the platform, email, Zoom, whatever platform they're comfortable working in, but all of the activity that is tracked back to the CRM system. So that's uh, us in a nutshell. Yeah, everybody who listens to this podcast knows my primary focus is on content. So knowing what content is consumed and relevant, of course, is valuable to a sales rep, but also back to marketing to say this is working or this doesn't work. No one cares about that thing. Take that paragraph out. Yeah. Do something else. Right. And that's yeah. actually an interesting kind of other value back to home office and back to marketing and the content creators. We give them macro level insights around content. So we, let's say they created this piece of content or this asset, as they may call it, they hand it to the salespeople. We give them information around how often that was shared. Last week, that piece of content was shared 2,000 times. Of that 2,000 times, it was opened 1,400 times. Um, of that 1,400 times, here are the sections of that were the most valuable or the most visited or whatever it might be. And to your point, we've actually had clients come back to us and say, based on the insights provided by Mobile Locker, we are able to optimize pieces of content, remove lengthy content or something like that, make them more consumable, and that increased the engagement for those pieces of content. So that piece of value is very significant. Thank you for bringing that up because sometimes I forget to mention that. <laughs> You're welcome. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of marketers are going, yeah, that piece that the CEO said had to be in there about company history and all that, gone. <laughs> Right. That's exactly right. It's all <laughs> so, they find all sorts of things in there that for whatever reason nobody seems to read. Nobody ever seems to get to page four or whatever it might yeah. be. So that's really it can be very valuable for those content creators. All right. So let's talk about the sales environment, whether it's for healthcare or life sciences. I'm going to assume for this conversation they're relatively the same. Everybody's having the same problems. We all hope by now things would be close to normal. Looks like we're moving backwards. But let's talk on, about strategies for reaching customers and giving them relevant data. You shared with me some facts by email before this. I'm going to let you describe some of those about what you know about healthcare providers' level of interaction right now with their reps. Yeah, so we, we obviously track that pretty close. So this is our market and why people come to us, right? Because it's about access. So it's about access and engagement. And... So what we're seeing, not only in healthcare, in pharma, but I think it's, it's likely happening across the board. Anybody who's engaging with clients, right? 
They're looking for ways to gain access, to gain engagement, to gain mindshare, all of those types of things, particularly in environments that historically were face-to-face oriented. We're coming in for a meeting. We're going to have a presentation in your boardroom. Those types of things are fewer and far between. So now companies are looking for different ways, different channels to engage with their content, right? Digital content, print content, even PDF, PowerPoint, videos, whatever it might be, they're all looking for ways to get that stuff in front of. And so we see these channels. So there's this term that's become a buzzword, at least in the pharma kind of biotech space called omni-channel. So there's this omni-channel digital outreach that everybody's after. We need to be prepared to to engage with healthcare professionals in a number of different... So gone are the days where it's just email or it's just virtual or it's just iPads in the office where we're doing details or whatever it might be. And again, this applies to just about everyone, whether you're selling capital equipment or whatever it might be. People are struggling to get in front of people with their information. So we're seeing the market shift to how can I be prepared in a single day to do all how can i as a rep be prepared at eight o'clock in the morning to do a zoom call where i'm going to present something virtually then my next meeting at 10 is face to face i got to go meet dr jones and then after that i might have a webinar or a podcast or whatever it might be where i'm meeting with somebody's office staff or whatever it might be so there's this concept that you have to frictionless pivoting on a day-to-day basis between all these different channels. Email outreach has become huge, right? So you mentioned some of the stats. So from like March of 2020, which was the pandemic ramping up, email interactions in our space in purely pharma, biotech, email interactions with HCPs are up somewhere in the vicinity of 300 to 400% compared to where they were pre-pandemic. So that is, so now you need to know when do they respond to email? What types of email do they respond to? What types of content will they open? What types of content will they interact with? So that, so the next step becomes data, right? So powerful is to have a tool or a set of tools where you can pivot between interaction channels, number one, and then number two, data which allows me insight into what is the best way at the best time in the best location to interact. And then finally, personalization. How do I personalize what I'm sending to the interests of that target that I'm trying to reach? What is it that's going to appeal to them? What is it that they're interested in? What channel, what model, what type of information? Is it clinical information? Is it studies? Is it stories? What is it? And with all that data and insight that I'm getting back, I now have the ability to personalize what I'm trying to send them. So it's kind of that three-pronged approach of pivoting between the channels, having access to data and information that's relevant that allows me then to personalize what I'm sending along the way. Yeah, the other stat that you sent me that I found most interesting (laughs) is that virtual meetings are maybe six times longer than a face-to-face. Extremely good news because you're not looking at somebody who's saying, all right, tell me what you got. I got to move on. 
if they yeah. took the time to get to a virtual thing, even though they could have 10 windows open on their browser, they probably, if you're doing your good job paying attention for a yeah. longer period of so time. So I think that was a study that one of the big CRM companies in health sciences, Viva, did. So they're like a salesforce.com for pharma, so to speak. And Viva did a study that said that the virtual inter interactions that they're, that reps are having with the HCPs are six times longer. So I think it was something like when they when the reps in pharma specifically, and again, I have to believe this is across the board, but so when the reps back in the old days, when everything was face-to-face, -face, when they had an opportunity to present in person, two to three minutes max. Here's my drug, here's what it does, here's the studies, here's the efficacy rates. So. What Viva found is in the new world order, when you're doing virtual meetings, they will give up to 19 to 20 minutes for you to make your case, to present what you have to present. So what that has created is a couple of different things. It's created the need for reps to be extremely value centric in what they provide in terms of interaction and content. So you can get away with doing something for two minutes and stumble through it a little bit and not really know because it's so fast. But when you're on there for 20 minutes, you really have to nail it. You have to nail what you're sharing, how you're sharing it, why it's relevant. You have to be able to interact for a longer period of time in terms of Q&A. So you have to probably be a little more clinical, a little more technical. The other thing that we see is that there's more than one person involved. So it's no longer one-on-one. -on -one. It's often one-to-one an office, it's one to uh, a team of clinicians. Or on my side, it's more than one. Like I might have my clinical person next to me so that I'm prepared to answer those deep dive questions. Or in another environment, it might be my technical resource who's next to me to answer those deep dive questions about how a piece of machinery operates or how it's installed or whatever that might be. So there's this opportunity to not only put all of the pressure on that single person, but it's more of a team-oriented approach both on both sides of, of the lens. I'm typically presenting to a team as opposed to just one person. And so that's another reason why that period is extended a little bit because there's more people asking questions. There's more comprehensive, it's more of a comprehensive type thing where you're starting at the beginning and ending somewhere else as opposed to just providing little snippets of information, right? So that can be hugely valuable, right? Because I'm getting a lot more information in one call than I did in a two minute call. Right? Yeah, I'm just thinking about how much I appreciated personal interactions with people I haven't seen for a year this summer talking about swim team interactions. Yeah. But, and then I think about interactions with salespeople when I worked in the lab, and there's always this thing, you don't want to, maybe this is just a natural response to salespeople. You feel like if you become their friend, you're going to have to buy from them. It's that thing. Whereas the virtual thing puts a little distance there. So you're missing the value of those relationships. And yet you have, um, the opportunity to deliver more and better information. Yeah. Two-edged sword, but people would feel more comfortable talking to a sales rep for 15 minutes on a Zoom call than they would at the bench. 100% agree with that. And so I think it goes back it goes back to that this concept of the relationship is you, you 
there's a requirement in the process or in that relationship to bring more value because they're being inundated with these types of Zoom. So I, I have 35 requests a day for a Zoom call. So it's the same as it was when there were five reps sitting in the office waiting to see somebody. But now it's just this function of, to the point earlier, it's longer, it's more of an investment to take a Zoom virtual call than it was to let someone in the office for two minutes and have them deliver their plate of cookies or have them deliver their <laughs> Chipotle or whatever it might be. And that's literally a lot of how that interaction went. It was, yeah, sure, bring your lunch in, give me your pitch, and out you go. And now it's more, how do I pick and choose the right people to engage with? And the, the way that they're doing that is they're doing it through who is in advance of the interaction, providing me with the highest value content where they're providing me that content in the environment where I want to be at the time I am there. So those are the ones that are getting the meetings. Those are the ones that are getting the access. So how are they doing it? They're doing it because they're great little companies like ours that are giving them those insights and the data around the things that they're sending and what's hitting, what isn't hitting, what's missing, that are allowing them to separate themselves, differentiate themselves from the crowd of people that are trying to interact with these people. They're giving them information that's data rich because they know what they know what's interesting. And then it has a lot of insight around personalization, around what they're mostly interested in. So the net result of that is, sure, I'll take a meeting. I'll take a meeting with Chris. He seems to know me. He seems to understand what's interesting to me. He seems to understand me. So I think I'll take a meeting with Chris, right? Yeah. No, that makes sense. You covered this, I think, but I think it's pretty clear that it's going to be a long time till we get back to anything that looked like it was before. And I'm starting to believe when people said it will never be the same, a year ago, I might have said, oh, someday it'll be the same. Right now, I'm thinking, no, it's not. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we just talked about how the types of meetings healthcare providers or other people at the bench might behave around meetings or what they will accept. What do companies do to adjust and personalize to different types of customers? Yeah, I agree with you 100%. By the way, it's funny. I was having a conversation with someone just this morning about this very topic, right? So we were starting to see huge momentum in in getting back to normal. We we're starting to see momentum in things opening up, people seeing people face to face again, taking meetings, all that kind of thing. And so now every it's almost literally now every day you read the news, it's, it seems like we take another step backwards. And so from a preparation perspective, what we have to be really careful about is not, I, I, I hate to use such a trite phrase, but putting all our eggs in one basket, so to speak. What we counsel our clients about all the time, and we get our partners who help us position varying agencies who position us with our clients and things like that, we, we have to make sure that if I'm running a company, whether I'm selling equipment, whether I'm selling drugs, whether I'm selling whatever it might be, the most important thing to me is the minimal amount of disruption in my flow and process, no matter what happens. So I'm trying to 
reduce disruption based on external stuff. So what happened at the very beginning of the pandemic, and by the way, in our business alone, there's some, I read a McKinsey article somewhere along the way that said the cost in terms of brand revenue value or something in the way they man, they, they track the revenue associated with a brand. The impact on COVID so far is in excess of $30 billion in the industry. And that impact is, is it goes largely back to the, what we're talking about here, this access issue, the fact that they can't get the information about their brand to the HCPs who are writing prescriptions. So $30 billion in that little workflow, that industry alone. So extrapolate that out into all industries and all people who are trying to get access to their targets. So the reason that happened is because they were not prepared. They were not prepared for a complete disruption in their process. Hey, this is the way we do it. Reps knock on doors, we go see docs, they write prescriptions. We leave them samples, they write prescriptions. The disruption that occurred was just putting the brakes on an entire process. As we get back to normal or think we're getting back to normal or work to get back to normal, set an objective to get back to normal, that's awesome, that's what we all want. But at the same time, I think what everyone has learned is while we're doing that, we always have to be prepared for the worst. Expect the best, prepare for the worst type of thing, not to use another trait saying. Always be prepared to, to go without friction in the process back. Always be prepared to, and that's what we talk about with this multi-channel, omni-channel approach that we deliver. It's We give them the ability to move in and out at any time, which is very, should be very comforting. It's very, it should be very comforting to know that at any given moment in time, I can shift gears. It's like this, it's this concept of being audible ready. If, I don't know if a football, I hate to use a football analogy, but when you pull up to the line and you see something goofy with the play I called, you Omaha. And that, that's what we're talking about here is always being prepared for that pivot, that Omaha moment where there's something out in the horizon that's saying all this time, energy, training, investment that we're making in creating this process we're creating, we're creating a piece of content that's going to be shared face to face. We have to look at those things in every way and say, is that same process and that same piece of content, can we use it in other ways? Can we use it digitally? Can we use it in email? Can we use it however it might be that you want to use it? But the point is, everything we do now has to be with through that lens, right? It's no longer this single channel of engagement. It's all of these channels of engagement. And how can everything I do prepare me to move in and out of those multiple channels of engagement? I'm thinking as you say all that back to the conversation I had a couple episodes ago with Jason Scharf, which was really about strategy, but how people have maybe discovered new ways entirely new ways of doing things because of COVID. And that's a topic that's come up a lot, yep. but really being prepared to do things in ways you would never expect to do them is a point I think we'll be driving home. And to his point was, this is an opportunity to differentiate yourself from lots of other people. If you, you know, can envision an entirely new flow for something, maybe there's, I don't know if that, ties perfectly to what you were just saying, but it got me. No, I, I think it 100% does. Like for, let's give a simple COVID example. Who had ever heard of Zoom before COVID, right? So you, along comes COVID and along comes the pandemic. Now Zoom is a household word, 
right? We're doing Zoom family meetings and we're doing Zoom meetings with grandma and grandpa. And we had to teach grandma and grandpa Zoom and Microsoft Teams. And I, I don't want to just focus on Zoom because I want to include everyone else. But the point is, that is a complete paradigm shift for everybody. And again, pre-pandemic, nobody knew what that was. So that's just a simple example of these things. And I 100% agree with you. I, I have seen examples of things that have emerged from a tech perspective, a consumer perspective, all these things that have emerged because of the pandemic. There's, It's sad to say that, that, that the pandemic is a terrible, awful thing for the entire world, but in those types of things, there, there tends to lie opportunity. There tends to lie different ways of doing things. And I think that this, a lot of the things that we've seen accelerate in the pandemic, right? The, a lot of the digital platforms, digital sharing, a lot of these things that are that have been things that like the way that people are delivering their services and products, curbside pickup, like the expectation level that people have around service and service delivery. I think all of that was happening, but the pandemic accelerated it to such a crazy exponential process that those are the ones who got there first are kind of the ones that, that, that excelled and the ones that really, you know, and the Zoom is a perfect example of that. Zoom got there first. So I think there's all sorts of examples of that, to your point, of things that the pandemic forced in terms of digital transformation, which I know is an awful buzzword nowadays, but this whole concept of, of doing things differently was really accelerated by this pandemic. So let's wrap this up with a little conversation about data. So as a marketer, you know, what data means is <laughs> the numbers we're going to show to our manager. But let's talk about that and the data we can get to improve our content or the entire process. Because there's a lot of data comes up all the time now. And obviously more and more is being gathered all the time. Talk a little bit about that. Awesome. And by the way, I think if there's a, I think if there's a great kind of way to ring this all together and to really pull the importance of what we're talking about here is I think that simple concept of data analytics insights is it right because everyone is looking for that no everyone always says no longer are we making decisions on no longer do I think this no longer dude does because I have 35 years experience I feel like this is going to happen right in today's business environment that is moving so rapidly right data is in fact everything tons of discussion around artificial intelligence machine learning how does the data teach itself that's what machine learning and artificial intelligence is using the data to teach a thing that is inanimate how to react how to act so all that stuff is out there and swirling around on a day-to-day -day conversation so from a specific, from a sales and marketing perspective, you can take that to as many layers as you want, right? Marketing people usually just to your point, if you overcomplicate it, then maybe you're not able to move fast enough. So marketing people tend to want to know, are the things that I'm putting out there working? Are they getting engagement? Are they being utilized? Are they generating interest? Whatever the goal is. You know, so I have a thing that I want to create. There should be a goal attached to it. This is, a, this is a brand awareness piece. This is a lead gen piece, whatever it might be. So then they want the data to back that up. 
did it do that? Here I was today. Here I am after I released the piece six months later. What's the number? What's the, all that kind of stuff. So it can be really simple and it can go from really simple to overly complex. But interestingly enough, a lot of the marketers, and we t- oftentimes enter conversations at marketing because it's all around the content, right? So you hear content, you think marketing. So when we enter these conversations, the, we, we encounter, amazingly, it's, it amazes us, but we do encounter marketing people who cringe at the idea of, wait a minute, you're going to apply data to what I'm doing? You're going to measure it? You're going to measure the success around the assets and the things that I create? And we can almost see them taking a step back <laughs> because hold on, marketing doesn't get measured, sales gets measured, right? And we do see that every now and again, right? So we have to walk them through that. There's massive value in being measured, right? There's ability to pivot. There's ability to optimize the things that you're doing. And what measuring with data can do is it makes you exponentially more effective, more successful because you can you know, course correct. You can change things and all that kind of thing. So most get it. Don't get me wrong. This is not like a daily thing. You know, most get that. Most get the value of data. But the thing about data is it can be super complex, but the people who are doing it on a day-to-day basis, there's guys sit in the, in the corporate IT organizations that they're like, do these data architects. Those are the AI guys and the machine learning guys. They're super smart guys that put all this data together from a 75 hundred different sources and they crunch it and they come up with a, this is why somebody decided to buy my car today. And there's 7,500 different inputs. And that happens every day in companies, but like sales guys, marketing guys, like what we want is we want to know what should I do today? That's going to give me a better chance of accessing, engaging, or getting this person to hear, listen to my message. So you have to kind of, I don't want to say dumb it down, but dumb it down a little bit for the end user. So somebody, that's what end users want. They want to know, is it easy? Can I use it? Can I incorporate it into my day to day? So is this solution and tool that you're giving me to improve my process? Is it really improving my process or is it has some value at the corporate level? Right? Or is this data that I'm inputting you, you're forcing me to take 25 minutes out of my day to input stuff into this thing. Is it helping me or is it helping some guy crunch numbers? So, and that's what I mean about the complexity, right? So there's hugely complex data processes, and then there's simpler data processes. We tend to be more on the simple side. So when you're sharing something, who opened it? Where did they open it? What did they do when they open it? Things that they can typically use. Now, someone will take that data in the corporate office, and they'll use that data as a one of those 7,500 data sources to show somewhere down the line why something happened. But at the end of the day, I think if you talk to field people, whether they're sales or marketing. And I think this applies to every business. I have not only sold into this vertical, I've sold into every vertical on the planet, banking, insurance, you name it. I've sold software into them. And at the end of the day, salespeople closest to the fire want data, but they want the data to be easy to digest and consume and make it something that they can use the next time. So, I might have learned something from this process. How can I use that data and that insight that I learned for the next thing, my next move, whatever it might be. So we tend to live more on that simple, how do we help the field as opposed to the really deep dive data stuff, but it's all out there and it's all like super, super important. 
Yeah, I'm a big fan of the simple data. My first rule of data and analytics is if you're not going to use it, don't collect it because yeah. <laughs> that's just a load on your brain. Yeah, then there's this old figure cast. out what you do want to know and then take advantage of that to make your content better. You could just take a few little things and say, all right, for example, like what we talked about, what content do we no longer ever need to make again? Because you probably want more money, but getting yeah. rid of and some projects is the same as getting money. And that's money. pretty simple, right? Because think about how many things, like I worked for big companies. So I worked for giant companies, Salesforce.com, Oracle, big giant companies. And, it, and think about over time, how many pieces of content companies like that have. And they have these giant repositories of all this data that hasn't been accessed in five years, seven years. Like yet they're still updating it. They're still, someone in the marketing organization <laughs> still takes care of it. They're still, so... Think about that and think about how impactful it would be to only be able to focus on the most compelling assets that we have, the ones that are used the most, the ones that are driving, that are measuring, that are moving the needle. And to your point, you, this old, there's this old saying that if you don't measure it, you can't manage it. And so those, it, some of those concepts will never change, right? It, it, it is, how are we measuring the effectiveness of this thing, whatever that thing might be? And then we, however we're using to measure it, we score it and it's either working or it's not, right? So some of these things are, are still pretty simple. And, 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 and if you keep it somewhat simple, then I think they can work very effectively. That's, our, that's how we think, right? So let's give simple analytics and data to the people using our stuff that allows them to be better the next time and get better along the way. Well, I'm sure this conversation will be helpful, I think, to a lot of sales and marketing people just to think about things they could do differently in the new environment and really open their mind up to how they handle content. So I will put a link to your profile and LinkedIn in the show notes, as well as a link to Mobile Locker. And people awesome. want to know more, they can go there and find Hey, it. I've really enjoyed being with you. And again, anyone out there, if they want to reach out to me, just time, shoot me a connection on LinkedIn. Happy to talk about anything, anytime, whether you're whatever business you're in or whoever you're trying to get in front of. I've got a lot of background and experience. Would love to just have a conversation or say hello to anyone out there. All right, Bob Lemke, thank you so much. Chris, thank you. Have an awesome day. You too. As a marketer, of course, I want the sales team to do well. Um, but I also want to know what content works and what doesn't. And that's what I really like about this whole idea is that you can personalize it, send it to people, and then figure out what content you need to make more of, what content you never need to make again. Because I think that's one of the challenges is what do we say no to? Because you get a lot of requests from different people, different teams for certain types of content and to be able to show them, hey, nobody wants that. Or, you know what, that's a really great idea. Let's make more of that. I think that's that's really important. So um, if you like the podcast, then you could tell me, but even more importantly, tell your friends that it's working for you. Tell the people you work with, and I will be back. I've got a couple of great interviews lined up. Bye-bye. <laughs>